Welcome to Spend Wisely, a podcast brought to you by Lola.com, bringing you insights from finance leaders you can act on today. I'm your host, Sagar Valagala. Today's guest is Kevin Neary, controller at Wistia. Well, nice to meet you, Kevin. Appreciate you uh, coming on. <laughs> My pleasure. Well, let's just talk through, we'll go through some basic stuff about like your background, career, and then just jump into details about what's going on at Wistia. So one thing I notice is a lot of my accounting friends and I think yourself too, a lot of people start off in public accounting, pull it off for a few years and then make the jump. I'm guessing it's kind of like consulting where you can only do it for so long. Like what's the, what's the rationale there? I think that's a pretty good analogy. You know, a lot of people go into public accounting because, you know, everyone wants their CPA, you know, at least back, you know, a hundred years ago when I went there, you know, went over to KPMG, you know, I said, I'm going to get my CPA. I'll spend a couple of years there. And, uh, you know, get some really, really good experience. And then, you know, I'll make the jump into the private, like actually doing accounting kind of sector. So yeah, I was with KPMG for three years and well, it's just like a hockey stick of like learning curve kind of thing. Just like so much work, but like so beneficial to your career, um, especially early on when you might still be like inexperienced and maybe a little immature. <laughs> uh, I remember those days. Totally mature now. Totally different now. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you were in on the audit side, right? Yes. Like, what were some of the big learnings that you had going from, you know, well, I guess you yeah, had while you were there? Oh, gosh. So long ago. <laughs> I think just, you know, it's, it's about, like, working hard, communication, accountability. Obviously, there's the technical side, you know, whether it's, like, technical accounting pronouncements or SEC, like, disclosure checklists and stuff like that. I'm probably, like, going to give a lot of listeners, like, you know, like flashbacks, like pretty bad memories, but uh, <laughs> it's a good mix of, you know, how to work on a team, how to communicate effectively and efficiently, and also like the more like technical skill side. Do you find that the technical skills have changed a lot since when you were in public accounting to now, or is the audit process kind of the, kind of the same? It's so funny because like, you know, I've been, since I left KPMG, I've literally been audited at least once a year since then. And I'd say, especially recently, uh, since I've been at Wistia, I'll have conversations with our auditors and I'll be like, wait a minute, that's not a thing. And then they're like, no, yeah, this like new blah, blah, blah thing. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, you just kind of give in. They could probably ask for anything and I, you know, within reason probably say, <laughs> say yes. But, uh, you know, I think it, at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty similar. Gotcha. That's kind of crazy though, that like, are public accountants really the only ones that can keep up with all the changes and regulatory needs or... Do you know anyone that's like in-house that is so on top of their game that they don't even need an outside consultant? Well, you know, it's like we, it's us, right? It's the former public accountants like myself, the controllers, the technical accounting managers that are keeping up on the SEC pronouncements, keeping up on the FASB announcements, because, you know, we have to do a couple different things. We have to read through the announcements, see how it affects, see how it's different than how we're accounting for something now or disclosing something now, and then kind of like relay that up the chain to management and possibly even to the executive level to say like, hey, this is going to change the way we're accounting. You know, 606 is a great example of this. This is going to change the way we recognize revenue. This is going to change the way um, we recognize our commissions expense over time. These are the disclosures that are going to go into our financial statements regarding that. So like, you know, a lot of the work for 606 and even, you know, 842, which was the leasing standard, like we did all that in-house and then ran it by our auditors to make sure, you know, it kind of passed the sniff test, so to speak. Where do you go to, to figure this stuff out? Is it like the, is there a government website where they kind of give you a, a rundown and then you have to interpret it? You know, it's pretty funny. I feel like 
I tried to go get the actual like FASB, like 300 page thing, whatever it was. And like, they wanted me to pay for it. And I was like, no, every big accounting firm, whether it's PwC, KPMG, ENY, I think even like BDO and Grant Thornton, they all have white papers on this stuff. There's like a paywall, so to speak, but like you pay with your email address, you know, and then they send you the PDF. So I got a lot of it through there. And then like, I went to my auditors first too, and they sent me a whole bunch of their like internal documentation around it. So, you know, the information's out there and then it's really just getting the, all the information and kind of just taking the time to kind of read through it and then applying it to your unique business situation. I see. The reason why I asked is because I, I've noticed that the payroll, the recent payroll holiday issue, no one seemed to know what to do. And I'm guessing all these filters of consultants and white papers, it took a while to like get the information. What's your take on it? What's happening right now with that? It's really funny. I think we're, I think it's in a, it's an election, right? Like you can either do it or not do it. I'm That's like, the last thing I read about it was that. Yeah. So I think we decided <laughs> not to do it because it's not a holiday the way I think about a holiday. Like I didn't work on Labor Day. I didn't have to go into work on a Saturday or a Sunday to make up for that. But if you take a holiday from this payroll tax, you're going to pay it back. So holiday was, I think, maybe not the most accurate word for it. But, you know, when we, <laughs> when we realized that we were going to have to, to pay it back and that the employees were going to have to pay it back, we did some talking at like the leadership level and we thought, you know, it'd probably be better just to skip this. Gotcha. That's actually a really interesting thing to poke at. I guess I never really imagined accountants having to be really good translators for the business, but it sounds like that's a pretty big part of the job, especially, I guess, when you get to the controller level. Can you talk to me about how you developed that skill? Like, when did you realize that was a, well, how big of a part is that of your, of your day to day? I think it's pretty big. I think it, I probably picked that up like maybe a few years ago. I was a, an accounting manager at another local tech company and it was there like, you know, learning from that controller that, Hey, like if there are changes in accounting pronouncements or like, if you see like a big charge come through and people are thinking, you know, cause a lot of times the business might say, okay, I'm going to spend $100,000 on this consultant or $100,000 on this software. And that's it. It's all going to hit my budget right now in November when I spend the money. And we're like, wait a minute, this is a six month thing or a 12 month thing. Like this is not just hitting you this year. This is going to bleed into next year. So like from a cash perspective, yes, but from a, like an OPEX and like a PL perspective, no, no, this is going to affect you next year as well. And I think, you know, it was, it was in that previous role where, where that controller kind of showed me like, Hey, big ticket items like need to get escalated through the, the food chain, so to speak, so that the business really understands the way um, these transactions affect their budget and affect the financial statements. So I think, you know, big ticket items like that are one where it's important to escalate accounting pronouncement changes, obviously. And then on the SEC side, it's, it's just disclosures. So that's more like at the executive level too, you know, like CFO, general counsel, CEO. The big ticket thing is interesting. We've been doing some research and talking about, well, actually for me specifically, I just moved from an operations role into marketing and I started looking at our old marketing budget and there are a bunch of line items where I'm looking at Rebecca and I'm saying, I'm not paying for these. Like, I don't even, we canceled these. Why, why is it all my budget? And then she goes and explains, it's like, uh, you pay for it annually. You've got to spread it out. I don't know why that's so hard for me to understand sometimes. Like, I feel like a lot of budget owners have that problem. How do you, how do you explain that concept? That's a good question. And I've definitely had to do that a few times. It's, you basically have to explain the accrual basis of accounting to someone. 
which is funny because like for an accountant, that's like accounting 101. You have cash basis and accrual basis, you're done. But like for someone in marketing or like an engineer, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so, you know, just like, hey, you know, you paid for this, you paid $120,000 for this subscription in November, but the subscription's for a year. So like really you use $10,000 of it every month. And that's why $10,000 a month is going to hit your budget throughout the entire term of the subscription. I was talking to Rebecca and she mentioned something about a prepaid schedule also influencing how you spread things out. You mind adding some uh, color to that? <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's exactly, yeah. I mean, this, this $120,000 software we're talking about here would go on my prepaid schedule in November whenever I paid for it. And then every month for the entire year, or entire 12 months, I should say, right? We'll chip $10,000 off of that and it'll flow off my prepaid schedule, which is on my balance sheet and it'll roll onto the P&L as an expense. But there's no, there doesn't have to be a standardization company to company about like how they handle their prepaid schedule, right? One company could do a 12-month prepaid schedule, another one could do it differently, or? I, well, I, it, like, depends I on the, it depends on the term of the agreement. It depends on the term of the invoice you're okay. looking at. So like I use a year for this software that we made up, but I very easily could have said $3,000 a quarter or $30,000 a quarter and kind of gotten to a similar answer, right? You're still going to do $1,000 a month or $10,000 a month. And then three months from now, you'll get another invoice from them unless you cancel. Okay, so you can, you can kind of do that based on contract to contract and align it if you want to. Yeah, and it's funny that you, you brought that up about, you know, we're not using these, these folks anymore. You know, why is this on, on my budget? I, throughout my career, I'd say, I'm not going to say a company specifically, but we've been caught a couple of times where, you know, you pay for these quarterly or annual subscriptions and then the business is like, oh, we're not going to use these anymore. But then we miss the termination like window and then you're stuck for another quarter or stuck for another year. So I think what I've tried to do with some of the bigger ticket stuff or the stuff that I know the business is kind of wishy-washy about is be proactive about reaching out to the business and say, hey, you know, I looked at this agreement real quick because it's 10 grand a month and, you know, we need to give a 60 day term notice or a 90 day term notice. Like, are you going to renew this? Because it auto renews if you don't and we'll be out of luck. So we've saved a little bit of money doing that. And we've lost a little bit of money not doing that. I don't know how you keep up with all those contracts, though, because you've got the, it's not just one team's contracts and schedules. You've got the entire company. Like, how do you, how do you keep on top of it and stay proactive? You know, I use the, the prepaid schedule that we use is a good, like, starting place for that. Like, just, just going through the amortization of each of the line items that we have set up and saying, like, when does this end? And then kind of looking at that vendor and saying, like, okay, well, that vendor does, like, a B testing or this vendor does this is our hosting. So like that, who cares? Like, you know, we'll pay them whatever they want to host our product. And then there's a lot of our consultants also auto-renew. We have like board advisors. I've had experiences at other companies where board advisor agreements auto-renew or don't auto-renew. And you never want, you know, to get an email from a co-founder like, why didn't this board advisor get paid this month? And then just have it be like, well, his agreement didn't auto-renew. And what you should be doing really is reaching out to that executive and saying, hey, this person's board advisor, his agreement kind of runs out. Are we going to renew it? So, but yeah, it's a lot to keep track of. And for the prepaid side of it, I think that's like a really good starting point is the prepaid schedule and just seeing like, hey, when's, when does this expense fall off? And, you know, let's backtrack two months from that and kind of go out to the business and ask if they're going to renew it or not. And we don't do it for everything. There are things that we know that like we're never going to get rid of. But, you know, a lot of times if it's like the first year of a product, we'll kind of 
pay special attention to that. Like, hey, how'd your experience with this product work out in the first year? Do you think you'll renew it? Are you evaluating a replacement? You know, keeping the level, lines of communication open around stuff Is like there that. any way for your budget owners to do that themselves or is it all on you? Because you're the only one with the source of truth. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's a really good question. There's no specific like DRI for the directly responsible individual for this, right? But, you know, they're busy running the business. They're busy like... They're busy doing the marketing, building the product and stuff like that. Like this is like the last thing that they have to worry about. So I kind of, you know, I kind of put the pressure on myself and my team to kind of help them out where we can. And that's where we add value to the business, right? Like let's let's be the watchdog of this stuff and just safeguard the money, right? And just make sure that we're not flushing money down the toilet and just give, you know, the business and the business leaders like one less thing to worry about by tracking this stuff for them. So your viewpoint then is that, the accounting function is responsible for overseeing like budgets and recurring like invoices and making sure all that's okay. Hmm. <laughs> Every business is different. Wistia, you know, we have probably 120 people. We have four people in all of finance. Okay. Wow. So there is a, <laughs> I was going to say there's a, a thin line or a blurred line or a gray line. There's no line between accounting and finance at Wistia. You know, we all kind of do what we can on, on both sides of those, you know, kind of responsibilities. But at other companies, you know, I've had previous companies where like, yes, there was a huge FP&A team and a huge accounting team. And like, you know, you had one person and they were the finance manager for R&D. And one person was the finance manager for sales and marketing. And one person was the finance manager for G&A, right? And you could go to that person and kind of say like, is this going to renew or whatever? Or you could have them come to you and be like, hey, I noticed that like this expense fell off this month. Like what happened? And we'd be like, oh, we didn't get an invoice. Like must have ran off on the prepaid schedule. And they'll say, oh, well, we're going to renew it. I talked to the VP on that. It's going to renew. Please accrue it. And then we'll get the invoice and all that stuff kind of squared away next month. So that's really cool. <laughs> you know, when you have that separation of duties kind of and you have someone... I mean, and those organizations are much, much bigger than Wistia and they need that kind of thing in order to survive, in order to be able to accurately predict their financial performance. But at Wistia, it's fun and it's exciting to kind of wear both hats throughout the course of a month. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine what you're talking about, I think, is the same predicament in a lot of small businesses where there's no clear delineation of like, you do this, I do that. I remember, yeah, at Lola, even when we had close to 200 people, it was maybe two and a half people in finance to cover the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love that half person in finance. <laughs> but how do you balance it all out? Like, I guess a common thing that I hear about is the financial close process. I guess there's a couple of perspectives on it. One thing I hear is that the financial close process can be a mess and it's super manual and it just like you just don't know how long it'll take. The other side I hear is that, no, we've got that under control. The problem is just prioritization. There's always another fire to put out. So it sounds like you've got a bunch of responsibilities that have to happen at the same time. How do you balance it all out? Exactly with what you kind of alluded to, which is prioritization. You know, right now, Wistia, we operate probably on like a seven to eight-ish day, business day, close cycle. So we'll have financials out to the board and all the other stakeholders that required reporting um, done by like business day seven or eight. And there are other things that happen during that time. Got to file sales tax right? In the beginning of every month. So like, that's one thing, you know, payroll doesn't really wait for anybody. 
No one cares that you're trying to close the books. Uh, your payroll provider doesn't care if you're trying to close the books and you need more time. They want you to get the information in or they're not going to make the payments for you. So, you know, it's, it's just about prioritization. It's about like long-term planning and not like long-term, like months out, but like at Wistia, we have a minimum two finance meetings every month. We have our pre-close meeting. And in that pre-close meeting, we say, hey, these are how the business days fall this month. You know, this is the first day of the close. This is what we're going to do. This is high level what we're going to close out every day. This is the day we're going to shut down the GL. This is the day we're going to deliver the financials. Done. The other thing we do during that meeting is discuss the prior two or three weeks of, hey, what kind of projects did you work on? Did you hit any speed bumps or roadblocks? What can we do to erase those or help you get around them? The next meeting comes a couple of days after the close cycle is over. And that meeting is kind of a retro on how we think the close went. Good, bad, ugly. And also, what are you going to work on for the next two or three weeks until the next close cycle? What are your priorities? What are like the things that the business needs? A lot of times our VP of finance will help direct that because she's in all the senior management meetings and, and knows you know, what product might be thinking about, what marketing might be thinking about, what sales is thinking about. So a lot of that is directed from the business, obviously. And then, uh, yeah, rinse and repeat. That's awesome that you have a, a retro process. I, I keep thinking in the analytics profession, software, like best practices are starting to come over there. And you can see how those can be applied to any sort of repetitive task. We have to go through the same cycle, you know, month in, month out. I guess when you get into the details of clothes, there are certain things you have to do the same way every single time. How do you make sure it's done the same way? Do you have checklists that you distribute? Is that built into the software? Like we have a closed management software we use. We use Flowcast um, as our closed management software. So, you know, there is a checklist that has an a responsible individual, and that's like the check. You know, reconcile. It's not even like reconcile cash, but I mean, it's it's pretty granular the checklist. But then the other thing that we have is the reconciliation checklist. And that's like, who's responsible for performing it and who's responsible for reviewing it. And that's really kind of our source of truth to how close to done we are and how, how complete we are. It helps us know that anything, you know, if everything's been reviewed. So I'd say that's, that's our biggest tool in close management is, this, is Flowcast. I think it just makes everything so much easier to, to have that. You know, I used to, I've had jobs where, you know, we've worked off a shared Excel sheet, a shared Google sheet. There's editing, there's changing, there's stuff like that. But like in Flowcast, it's pretty locked down. And, and the nice thing about it is like, you can obviously edit it. Like, you know, everything is so fluid in finance and accounting that, you know, we're constantly iterating on the checklist as we add accounts, kind of, you know, updating that. This is the new person responsible for this rec. If people go on vacation, if people go on paternal leave, you know, it's very easy to just go in and change the responsible person and just keep pushing along. So you mentioned that your close process is like seven to eight business days, right? Yeah. What do you do if someone tells you you have to make that go faster? Like, how do you how do you start optimizing your close process? That's a good question. We've made some pretty big improvements already. It used to be, I can't, yeah, I've been at Wistia for over two and a half years now. But when I joined, it was probably in like at the 15 plus level of days. And I think, you know, we've solved a lot through like automation you know, there's not too many manual processes within our closed process now. We're making a couple more updates in Q4 of this year. We have some projects that will go live Q1 2020 to automate a little bit more. But yeah, no one's, it's funny, like no one's ever told us we had to make it faster because we're just constantly improving. You know, we shaved it from, you know, 15 plus down to 12 and then we went to 10 and now we're at like the seven, eight range. I think we could probably do it in six, maybe by 
March of 21, probably get it down to six. But if they did do that, like to actually answer your question, I'd probably just like set expectations with them and set expectations with the team. You know, if we were really like working nights and weekends on this stuff, which we're really not like I, you know, I, I might a little bit just from a review perspective, because there's so many meetings during the day that you got to make it happen somehow. But like if the whole team is stretched that thin, I'd probably have to make a case for another resource if they really wanted to speed up the close process that much. And then it's, you know, cost benefit analysis on their part. Gotcha. So you kind of view this like a, it's a continuous improvement system. Yeah. You know, you've got those meetings set up in the retro and checklists to make sure you're always iterating. And then it's just resource management. If they want it faster, you need more help <laughs> kind of thing at that point. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And that's either through a tool, which will cost money, or a person, which would also cost money. <laughs> For my own education, how would you explain the different elements of the financial close process? Whatever level you, <laughs> you think makes sense. Yeah, that's a good question. The first element or phase that I think of um, in the close process is the pre-close process. Okay. And I think about the pre-close process as um, I get all my payroll entries in pre-close. We have a direct sync between our accounting ERP and our payroll provider. So, you know, if I approve the payroll on the 15th of the month, if I approve that on the 13th, I can run that GL interface with my accounting ERP and have payroll booked before it's even paid out. Okay. Right. And I can do the same thing for the end of the month payroll. So right there, I've got one of my biggest line items booked and ready to go. The other thing that I, you know, we try to do as a team is um, book all of our prepaids in advance. Like, hey, let's amortize all these prepaids. Let's like book depreciation. Yes, we're going to get stuff that comes in after month that might need to go in the schedule, but it's not going to be big. Let's book it now. And that way, like once revenue's in and once some of our bigger invoices get in, we have at least an idea of where EBIT is going to land. Like I can give leadership, specifically our VP of finance, I can give her like a snapshot of EBITDA on like day four. Like, hey, this okay. is where we're at right now. I see we're missing this and this, maybe a little bit of this, maybe this is where we land on EBITDA, but I, I can at least give her an idea of how we did. And a lot of that is dependent on where revenue landed that month, which everyone pays very close attention to as well. And we try to book revenue by like day two or day three. So you can cover probably like what, 90% of all of your outflows based on prepaid and payroll? Or is there like a bunch of yeah, discretionary probably. stuff that you're waiting on? Okay. Probably. I'd say, you know, we have a corporate card program and I'd say, you know, we get those and they flow through our like expense management system. And then once they're approved, um, they zip over to the accounting ERP. But, you know, getting the humans to do that work is something that we're constantly kind of putting pressure on people to do. And I'd say that maybe that if we had one bottleneck, like maybe it's that. Gotcha. But I guess it doesn't really get in the way of strategic decision making. So like if no. someone needs financial reporting on day four, they're good with... 90% of the information. And then the oh, last totally. probably more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess the corporate card stuff and expenses. And, you know, we could also accrue all that. Yeah. We could also just go into the expense management system. Like if we needed to go faster on like the third or fourth day of the month, anything that's not in, I could just export it. I've got like a template set up in that expense management system that kind of mirrors my journal entry import template in my accounting ERP. Just download, upload, and like I'm, I'm kind of done. You know, the team's kind of done there. So... All right, so you've got a you've got a shortcut lever. If there's a big decision that needs to be made, you can get you know close enough. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's consolidated. Yeah, okay. no, we do a pretty good job of of giving that like even a snapshot, and that'll get especially important in Q4 as we start to look at like where we're landing for the year, 
specifically like, hey, where, where'd marketing spend land for the year? Where are we at now? What's EBITDA now? And then we'll decide in Q4, does it make sense to like hit the gas, so to speak, on some, uh, on some marketing spend and stuff like that. So that's where that process and that the way we have it set up really kind of pays dividends. Where in that process do you provide like budget actuals to all your stakeholders? Do you do a preliminary and then a final version just like you do with financials? Or? We don't do, no, we do it at the, at the point of financials. So when the close is officially done, that's when you put out your, your budget. Yeah, our budget, our budget versus actual comes with the financial statements, yeah. Okay, so technically if I were, let's say I were in marketing, I wouldn't actually know what my budget to actual is from last month until the eighth business day of this month. And that could impact my budget this month after it started spending. That's true. But you also, so like in our situation, we have our biggest spend in marketing. I think like a lot of people these days is like everyone's all over social, right? So like, and you can see Wistia on LinkedIn. I know I do. And the other thing is like, we know where that money, like when that money is going to be spent. Like we have a certain number of consultants and a certain ad budget and stuff like that. And they have within all those tools, I mean, I've only been into like the Facebook business thing, but like within all those tools, they have like what your monthly spend has been so far. So like, like we have a marketing ops manager who manages all this stuff and he can go in and see where they landed for the month, like on day one. Okay. So it's, it's, it's on the marketing team to keep track of their, their budget to actual for that window of time where you know, there might be some. Yeah. You know, and then, and then we'll send out the marketing budget versus actual on like day seven or day eight. And then me and the marketing ops manager sit down and we talk about like the numbers he had versus the numbers I had. If, are there any big differences? Very seldom is, are there, right. And kind of, you know, what his, you know, and then we talk about the future, like, Hey, Based on this, you know, you came in under, you came in over for the year, you're either under or over. Like, what do you guys think you're going to do, like, going forward? Like, do you think, like, this is what's in the budget, but that budget, you know, could be stale based on prior month's results. Right. Have you ever run into, like, big discrepancies? Or is it usually? It's usually pretty close. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> knock on wood. Big time yeah, knock yeah. on wood on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> awesome. So... It sounds like whiskey is a little bit different than bigger companies where there's a more distinct handoff between FP&A and accounting in terms of like the role you play in the budget process and reconciliation and all that. What's your role at whiskey right now in the budget process? Are you directly interacting with the business stakeholders and advising them on these things? On a couple of line items, yeah. Not the whole thing. So like our Heather, our VP of finance, like runs the whole budgeting process for the whole business. And I have like a small carve out of that, of stuff that I'm responsible for working directly with the business to get numbers on, you know, whether it's for 2021 or like, you know, like uh, COGS, for example, like our hosting costs, like we try to do that every quarter, kind of see where we're going to land for the rest of the year, like reforecast for the rest of the year. Gotcha. Cool. I guess what's on your mind right now at Wistia? What When you look forward to the next three months, what are you, what are you getting ready for? Interim audit, first week of December, just had that scheduled. So that's exciting. We're going through like some technology implementations in Q4 that'll help us like have less like people hours and less like manual work, which I'm really excited about. You know, some stuff that uh, is kind of duplication of effort for, you know, one part of the business to do and then also accounting to update it in our systems. We're building like APIs between those or we're not, I'm not an engineer. We're paying someone to build APIs <laughs> um, 
between some systems, uh, some stuff that's been a long time coming that we finally kind of, you know, just pull the trigger on. And uh, I think those are going to save the team a lot of time and build some efficiencies, you know, within the business process in general. So, yeah, I really like the technology stuff and the implementations and integrations and whatever else. So that's how I want to spend my fall. So it's more operational efficiencies to, I guess, like helps you avoid adding more overhead. Is that the? Is that the yeah, goal? absolutely. Yeah, if I could spend, you know, a couple thousand bucks to link two systems together, or or two systems here and two systems here, I can go and uh, not have to spend maybe three or four times that to hire another staff person. Gotcha. Yeah, it's always interesting how different companies handle like uh, what I'm used to calling annual planning. Like, there's di- like. If you're an FP&A, right now is when you think you're ahead of the game in terms of planning out next year. And then probably about two weeks from now, your entire plan hits the fan and you're in panic mode for about three months. Yep. And the couple <laughs> of accountants that I've talked to, this is like the efficiency time. This is the time when you get to do the stuff. You you got to fix the things that have been broken all year. Is it as yep. stressful as the FP&A side or is it you know kind of easy right now? That's a good question. I don't have like a ton of FP&A experience with the few exceptions of the stuff I handle at Wistia, but I would say it's because of the, just the way my brain works, I enjoy the process stuff and the implementations and stuff like that. I enjoy like looking at a flowchart of how information goes and like trying to pick apart like how I can make this better or how the team can make it better. So I'd say the budgeting stuff is more stressful for me just because I'm a little more I guess I'm like more of a rookie or like not as seasoned in that. Whereas like, you know, the finance tech stack stuff is stuff that I will work on voluntarily. (laughs) So when is the worst time to talk to you and try to get your like your time then? Probably like in the middle of like the financial statement audit, which usually happens in like the spring. Okay. You know, so we're not, we're not public. So we don't have like the SEC like audit kind of filing deadlines. So we usually start our audit probably like middle end of April. And then our financials are due to our stakeholders by the end of June. So I would say like, probably like middle of May to end of June, like that like six week period leading up to the audit committee meeting and audit committee presentation and all that stuff can be kind of uh, kind of nerve wracking. And then after that, we jump right into like finalizing our tax provision and our tax returns, which we file extensions for and then, and then file later on in the year. So yeah, I would say that, that that period would probably be the most stressful for me. What makes that stressful? Is it the quantity of work or is it the difficulty of work, surprises, meetings maybe? <laughs> I think the thing that makes it the most difficult is the fact that like there's just so much like riding on it. Like, I mean, you have this like, you have this deadline of 6.30 for having this done and filed. And then like taxes, like that's cash out the door. Like if you're in, if you're in that position, right? From a, from a tax perspective, like that's cash out the door. So you really want to make sure you and what, if you're using a firm or whatever, you have those numbers right because it probably cost you a lot of money in, in tax consultant fees and, and to, to, to try to get any of it back if you ever had to amend something. So, you know, just dotting your I's, crossing your T's, making sure that that's right. It really does need to be perfect. And I think that's what probably makes it maybe maybe the most stressful. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I I love working with FP&A stuff. It's always funny when I get to talk to someone from FP&A and they're surprisingly okay with things being like 90% right and like fuzzy numbers. And I'm just yeah. like, that's is that the way it really is over there? But then you talk to you know, accountants, they're like, no, it has to be perfect. Otherwise we're gonna lose all this money and we're never gonna get it back. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel. It's kind of doomsday prepper. 
<laughs> well, I think it's kind of interesting how CFOs come from two different backgrounds. And I wonder how that impacts the rest of the org. Like you've got your CFOs that are former CPAs, and then you've got your lifetime FP&A professionals. Do you, have you worked with both different types of CFOs? I have. But actually the, what, the CPA that came from, that had like a public accounting background, I think he kind of moved over into FB&A very quickly after leaving the CPA firm. So like, so maybe I haven't. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the CFOs that I worked for, they were, you know, VPs of finance, directors of finance, stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't like LinkedIn stalk these people either or read their bios. So I don't know if any of them have ever really been a controller, to be honest with you. Um, But you could kind of tell, and you you could tell in talking to someone what side of the fence they're on, if any. What are the giveaways? (laughs) I think that like the accountant side might be like a little more interested in like the specifics and like the finance folks are like, more high level, you know, you gotcha. can try to like get into specifics with someone and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. Whereas like, <laughs> if, if they're like an accountant, like for me, for example, if someone wants to explain something to me, like, if you want to talk debits and credits, I'll talk debits and credits, like, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. But again, Whiskey is a small team. I've been here for three years. So I haven't talked to like a truly finance person in like probably a really long time, especially with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just conversations with the kids. That's <laughs> yeah. So where do you go to to learn more about your trade? How do you, who do you learn from? Or or is there, are there helpful websites, Slack groups? A lot of it is just like, you know, keeping up on my CPEs. You know, a lot of times, like if there's like a big accounting pronouncement, there'll be like a class for it, you know, and you you just jump on that class. The other thing is, you know, there's so many of these like companies out here, you know, a good example who I mentioned before is Flowcast. You know, they do a lot of like one hour kind of like webinar type things and stuff. And they actually, they offer credit for some of them. You know, I try to go to like a conference, a financial reporting and accounting conference every year. It's usually like a two day thing. And that'll give you like the big updates you need. The other funny thing is I think, I don't know if I'm like subscribed to stuff or like I'm a a part of a group or something, but like this stuff just ends up in my LinkedIn feed. Like I've been here about 606 for like three years. So, you know, it's, it's, it's there. And then it's like, you put... CPA in your title or controller in your title. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like, download this white paper, download this white paper, download this white paper. So you don't really have to go looking because they find you. <laughs> they find you. The power of marketing. Uh, I guess so. Somehow marketing is helping accounting. I'm just happy marketing. that people are marketing accounting pronouncement updates to me. I, I'm appreciative of that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, yeah, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. This is a, this is a great deep dive into, into the world of accounting. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Spend Wisely, brought to you by Lola.com. <laughs>